0: Amen. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to look out and see so many people here today, see some new faces, and doubtless many are joining us online as well. So we thank you uh, for finding us. And just a quick reminder like, if you're watching online or if a message really moves you, speaks to you, somebody comes to mind, it is so easy now to share a message, to share the word with people that you know. You can share it on social media, you can go to YouTube, uh, you can share our podcast. Uh, There are all kinds of ways to do that. And uh, as we gather together today on the first day of 2023, I want to ask you, how's the last week been for you? I don't know about you, but I've noticed there's just something about that time between Christmas and New Year's. It's wonderful. There's usually some family involved. Um, There's some rest, some relaxation, I hope, for you. Maybe too much R&R. Maybe uh, you need to get some more vegetables back into your diet, a little less sugar, some more water. Drink some water today, and you'll be feeling a lot better really soon. You know, uh, oftentimes today, people are thinking about resolutions. And I wonder if you have made a resolution or two or more. If you are thinking about making a resolution or several, I would encourage you to focus on habits, not just outcomes. See, sometimes we say, well, I want to lose 10 pounds, but we don't back that up and say, here's what I'm going to do. Here are the habits that I want to establish. And one of the more profound books that I've read in the last few years uh, was a book called Atomic Habits. And it talked about tiny changes that make a really big difference. And so I want to share just a couple little gold nuggets with you if you're thinking about making a New Year's resolution. And I've got some suggestions on some resolutions that you might want to make. Um, but when you think about making habits versus outcomes, sometimes we think of a really big thing and we don't back that up and realize the power of little changes over time. For example, the the people that understand math will get this, but did you realize that if you just got one percent better every day this year? Not 10% better, not 50% better every day, but 1% better every day this year. You would be 37 times better by the end of the year. That's the power of compounding changes. Looks like we lost our slides. What a bummer, because I had a really cool slide that illustrates all of this for you. Okay, we're back online. Wonderful, thank you, praise the Lord. All right, so we have a slide that shows two curves, and the first curve is getting 1% better every day. Not, not 10, not 20, not 50, not 100. You don't have to get better, every. just a little bit better every day. 1.01 to the 365th is 37 times better. Now the flip side of that is that if you got 1% worse every day this year, you would end up 97% worse than you are right now in any area that you pick. Now, you might be saying, well, 1% better every day. I don't know if I can do that. How about 1% better every week? If you just got 1% better every week, I don't have a slide for you, but I did the math, you would be 67% better by the end of the year. 67% better, and you'd be on a trajectory. So whatever it is, whatever area you're wanting to improve on, don't focus on getting hugely better. Look at little things that can make a big difference over time. I also want to warn you about something that James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, calls the valley of disappointment. And this is really important for you to hear on January 1st. Because when we start a new habit, we have an expectation. And that expectation is usually a straight line that starts with our activity changing and gets better in this straight line. And so that's the first line, the line kind of on the top at the beginning there, that says what you think will happen or what you expect will happen. But that's not usually what happens, is it? In fact, in the the last slide that we looked at, it was more like a curve, right? So it starts out a little slower and then it picks up speed. That's how exponential curves work. And so what actually happens is that lower line at the beginning, but then it gets going and it moves upward. And that gap between what you expect and what actually happens is called the valley of disappointment. And that's where most habits, good habits, get broken. We're like, oh, nothing happened. I haven't lost any weight yet. I haven't gotten any smarter yet. I haven't figured anything new out. I don't have some new epiphany. And so there's this valley of disappointment, and we give up before the power of compounding change has an opportunity to work. So I want to encourage you with those two ideas. Uh, If if ever I was to recommend a non-biblical book, a non-Christian book, Atomic Habits might be towards the top of my list. So if you're already reading your Bible every day and you're already studying God's Word and incorporating it into your life and you're looking for something else to read, Atomic Habits might be a great one for you to do. A couple of other things that you might think about as you're making these... New Year's resolutions would be to leverage technology. I've talked about this a couple times in our Life Without Lack series and other things. If you want to pray more, if you want to read more, put reminders in your phone. Use the technology that you have to remind you throughout the day to pray. I've heard from some people that started doing this, and they have talked about huge changes, big differences in their lives that are the result of just tiny little things, like reminding themselves to pray every two hours for a certain thing or for... Just checking in with God, connecting with him. So leverage technology, start a streak. I talked about this in the past as well. The power of starting a streak, especially if you don't like breaking a streak once it's started. And when you get a new streak, you don't want to see that streak in. So start a streak. Say, okay, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to start today. Now I've got a streak of one. Tomorrow I've got a streak of two, three, four. And once you get that streak going, now you don't want to break it. But here's the tip. If you do break it, start another streak start over, start a new streak and do this throughout the year and start new things and build a lifestyle that says, I am a disciplined person. I'm a person that, that leverages the power of small changes over time to make a big difference in my life and in the life of others. So that's just kind of some bonus ideas there on resolutions and habits. And I want to tell you my personal opinion for you. I want to encourage you to focus on holy habits Focus on holy habits. Focus on reading your Bible, on being in prayer, being intentional in prayer, making worship a priority this year that you just don't miss a Sunday. And if you have to be gone for some reason, you check in online or you visit a church wherever you're going and you worship on a regular basis. One of the big changes that I made about mid-year last year during the sabbatical was I started making sure that I worship God out loud every day. I worship God out loud every day, and so sometimes that means I'm singing out loud in the shower by myself, and everybody's giggling because they can hear me having a praise moment. Other times, I'm on a walk, and I just sing a hymn softly under my breath. Other times, I read a psalm out loud, pushing back the darkness in my life, and so I want to encourage you to focus on holy habits. And if you need a little help with this, I actually preached a sermon two years ago at the beginning of 2020 called Disciplines for Disciples. Like, disciplines, not like, really hard things to do, things like study and meditation and prayer, spending time in God's Word, spending time with God, fasting, fasting a meal a day or a meal a week or a meal on a regular basis that draws your attention back into God and deepens your relationship with Him. So if you want to grow a little deeper in your daily disciplines or your weekly disciplines, that series would be a great resource for you. You can go back onto the website, listen to it. Maybe you weren't a part of the church at that time and and you've never heard that. Uh, You could listen to that And really, the bottom line is like, what good is losing weight or getting better or getting smarter or working out more if you don't know Jesus better and you don't trust him more? That's what we need the most. As his followers, as disciples, as people seeking to know Jesus, we need to know him better. And there was a comic strip that I share often called Coffee with Jesus. There was one that showed up in my memories around this time of year. It has to do with these these uh new year's resolutions and so in the first frame we see carl carl's one of my favorites uh with coffee with jesus and he says starting today jesus i'm gonna quit drinking quit smoking eat better work out spend quality time with lisa and devote more time to you those are all good things right jesus says well and likely in that order carl that's certainly a full slate of resolutions and by this time next week you'll probably be sorely disappointed in yourself Next frame. That's crazy talk, J-Man. Carl's sincere, but he's a little irreverent at times. I can do this. I can feel it. This is my year. I'm turning over a new leaf. Well, you've set yourself up for an entire tree to turn over, son. Start slow. Let's work on devoting more time to me. We'll focus on the rest, on your flabby gut later. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. But here's the real here's my hope, here's my prayer. As I think about all of you and I think about those of you joining online, I want you to get closer to Jesus this year. I really believe that if you get closer to Jesus in 2023 than you have ever been before, that 2023 will be the best year of your life. I think that's the way he set the whole thing up. I think that's the way it's designed to work. And if we focus on everything else and get perfect at that, but we don't grow closer to Jesus, we don't trust him more at the end of the year, And I think we've missed it. And I I wholeheartedly believe that if you become a better disciple of Jesus, you'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better employer or employee. You'll be a better student. You'll be better in every area of your life that really matters if you're a better disciple of Jesus, if you're growing closer to him, if you are trusting him more and living that life without lack that we talked about last fall. I really think you get closer to Jesus in 2023. It'll be the best year of your life. And so, our focus today, with all of that leading up to it, is knowing and trusting Jesus, knowing him more, knowing him better, trusting him more, and trusting him better. And I've got some really good news for you guys today. I titled this message Kingdom Power for a New Year. Kingdom Power. For a new year. And we're gonna be in Acts chapter four. We're actually gonna take the whole thing. I couldn't find a place to stop. So we're gonna go through the entire chapter of Acts chapter four. This is one of my favorite chapters in Acts. Acts is one of my favorite chapter or books in the Bible. And I want to encourage you on something else. If you are not reading the Bible every day and would like a roadmap for that, we use these banding together journals. About a hundred of our people are so are doing this, maybe more. But it's a reading plan, and it's a journal, and you engage scripture, and you read about a chapter or two a day. And so these are available here if you want to pick one up. We usually say about a $5 suggested donation. Don't let that stop you if, uh, if you need one of these and don't have $5. But this would get you started in the book of Luke, and then you go right into Acts, because Luke wrote them both. And next thing you know, you've got a habit of engaging scripture on a daily basis and maybe meeting with a group, a banding together group on a weekly basis. If you want some help with any of that, just let me know. So our context in Acts chapter 4, if you're familiar, it comes right after the Gospel of John, which is kind of goofy because Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts, but they put the Gospel of John in between the two. So you kind of have to understand that Luke wrote this as one work that was all together and it means that Luke wrote about 52 chapters of the New Testament. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And in Luke's gospel it ends with the resurrection and the good news and the two on the road to Emmaus and then in Acts chapter 1 it's what we call the ascension. That's a big theological word for when Christ ascended up into heaven. And right before he goes up into heaven, he makes the disciples a promise. In Acts 1:8 he tells them, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other ends of the earth. And so he's making them a promise that they're going to receive power. See, they're a little heartbroken that Jesus is about to leave. And they think that's a really bad thing. And Jesus has been trying to help them understand. John 14, 15, 16, he teaches about the Holy Spirit. He's like, you are going to receive power that's going to be with you everywhere you go. And it's going to empower you to be my witnesses. And he doesn't say you ought to be. He doesn't say I sure hope you'll be. But he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the other ends of the earth. And so with that as a background, The day of Pentecost comes in Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power and there's this powerful manifestation of the Spirit and they start being his witnesses. Peter gets up and preaches right after all of this happens and he tells them what's going on and what has happened and what it means and then in Acts chapter 3 they heal a beggar and... Peter preaches a sermon, and, and there's this manifestation of the power of God that is seen over and over. So with that as a backdrop, we've got to get going because I'm going to run out of time, and uh, you're going to want to get to lunch here eventually. So Acts chapter 4. Verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because these apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. That's pretty significant. That's a megachurch, basically overnight okay? There was about 120 followers of Jesus the day before Pentecost. And then by the end of the day on Pentecost, there was about 3,000. That's church growth, okay? And then here, just another day or two later maybe, there's another 2,000 and that's just the men. So there might have been 20,000 women and children alongside the men, and it's freaking out the new leaders. It's it's freaking out the people who have a, a pretty good stake in the situation the way it is, in the system the way it is, the people that were at the top of that system, the ones that, that wanted Jesus crucified, have a problem with how big his list of followers is getting. And so we see in in verse three here the first recorded act of persecution in the early church. They're thrown in prison. Not really with any charges. <laughs> and it's nighttime, and the Sadducees don't meet until morning, so they just leave them there. And they say, we'll come back to you in the morning. And so that's where we pick up in verse 5 through 7. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, saying, by what power or what name did you do this? And so you see here that the Sanhedrin has come together. This is the Jewish ruling council. It's the Sadducees and the Pharisees kind of combined together. And they were charged with protecting the Jewish faith. So they examined new teachers, they examined new teachings to make sure that they were legitimate. And that's kind of what's going on here, except the whole arresting thing brings a layer of persecution to it or a layer of gravity. To it. In verse 7, they ask a key question. They say, In what power or what name did you do this? Did you do this healing? They're talking specifically about the healing that preceded in chapter 3 when they healed this beggar and then preached a sermon. And that language, what power, what name, name comes up four more times just in this chapter in verse 10, in verse 12, in verse 17, in verse 18. The power of Jesus' name comes up. And they, these Sadducees and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, were about to find out our bottom line today. And our bottom line today is that there is power in the name of Jesus. That there shouldn't have just been one amen on that. There is power in the name of Jesus. You can say amen in church. It's okay. There is power in the name of Jesus. And they were about to find out just how much Power is in the name of Jesus. Their plan sort of backfires on them. They just tossed Peter and John a big, you know, softball, and they're just winding up, ready to knock that thing out of the park. Because in verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this— You and all the people in Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he lets them know what name This was done in. He tells them it was in the name of Jesus, the one that you crucified. And he shows us that not only is there power in the name of Jesus, there is power for healing in the name of Jesus, that this man was healed. He went from being a cripple all his life to walking and nobody could deny it. There is power for healing in the name of Jesus. In fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 3, if you look at verse 6, when this healing takes place, Peter says to the cripple, silver or gold I do not have, because that's what he was asking for, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And he got up and walked. And Peter's saying, I don't have what you think you need, but I have what you need. I have power in the name of Jesus and I'm going to give it to you right now and you're going to get up and walk and you're not going to need to beg ever again. You're not going to be a cripple ever again because you are going to receive power. Peter had power and he knew it and he gave it to that man. And now when he has an opportunity to give glory to God, he takes it and he says, there is power in the name of Jesus. And this stone that you builders rejected, that's become the capstone, or many translations say the cornerstone. Now the capstone would be at the top of an arch, but a cornerstone probably makes more sense because he's quoting Psalm 118 verse 22, which by extension is also referred to in Isaiah, and there it's very clearly a cornerstone of a building. Now the cornerstone was the most valuable stone on a building. It was extremely important because if you had a really good cornerstone, then the entire building would be both level and plumb. And so we got a picture of a cornerstone in case you're not familiar with this. That it would be set, and if it was perfectly cut and was established as perfectly level, then they could make it, make the entire building level and plumb so it wouldn't get wonky and fall over. That was really, really important. And so they're saying that he's the stone that you rejected, but he's become the cornerstone. And I think it's really significant that cornerstones establish plumb and level, they establish a vertical. And horizontal. And what do we talk about when we talk about the cross? And we talk about the power of the cross is that it brings us into right relationship with God in the vertical sense. Our vertical relationship with God gets established through Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. But not only that, not only the vertical relationship, crosses have a cross piece as well. And the cross helps us to establish healthy horizontal relationships, our relationships with other people, so that we are... uh, In vertical alignment with God and in horizontal alignment with each other. And he's saying this is the the role of the cornerstone. And he's showing us that there is power to restore relationships, to repair relationships, to reconcile relationships in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power for you to reconcile your vertical relationship with God. If that has become broken, if that has become strained, if you've never had a relationship with God, you can have one through Jesus Christ. But not only that, there is power to restore, to rebuild, to repair, to reconcile our relationships with others in the name of Jesus. He can heal marriages. He can heal parent child relationships. He can heal relationships between brothers and sisters, between friends that are now enemies. He can restore and repair and reconcile relationships because there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power to repair relationships in the name of Jesus. And we're just getting started, okay? So, we're going to keep moving quickly through verses 13 through 20. In verse 13, we see that when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they being the the Sanhedrin, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed was standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle. We cannot deny it. (laughs) And this just shows how powerful a changed life really is. They can't deny it. Nobody can. But to stop this from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men not to speak any longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And so they command them and they command them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Even his opponents recognize there's power in this name. And they're saying, don't you dare go preach and teach in this name because there's too much power in it. We don't know what to do with it. We can't deny the power that's in it, so we're going to try to stop you from speaking, from teaching, from doing anything in this name. And this is how the enemy works, and this is what he does. He gets us distracted. He gets us confused. He gets us misdirected. And I love their response because Pete and John aren't having it. They're like, oh, you just go right ahead and tell us that. They say in verse 19, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Saying, You think we're going to obey you instead of God? No, absolutely not. We can't help it. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't. We can't help it. We are going to speak in the name of Jesus. We're going to preach in the name of Jesus because we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And this shows us there is power for evangelism in the name of Jesus. There is power for evangelism in the name of Jesus. And they say, we are going to speak and we are going to teach about what we have seen and heard. That's what it means to witness. When you tell people what you've seen and heard, that's what witnesses do when they give testimony in court, and that's what we are called to do. That's what Jesus said we would be. We're his witnesses. So when we receive the power and we go out into the world, we're to be his witnesses. We're to tell people what we've seen and heard, and we're to spread that power of Jesus throughout everywhere we go everything we do we're telling people what we've seen what we've heard the power of a transformed life we've received power and now we're to be his witnesses and we see all of this come to a thrilling conclusion in the believer's prayer this last section that we're going to look at in verses 21 through 31 focuses on the believer's prayer their response to this whole situation and so in verses 21-22 after further threats they, the Sanhedrin let them go they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is, this is undeniable stuff. And when God gets a hold of people and starts healing them and starts repairing and restoring their relationships and starts infusing their lives with power, it's undeniable. Nobody can deny it. The best witness for Jesus is a transformed life. So continuing, verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, saying, why do the nations and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Now, you might be thinking this is kind of an odd way to start a prayer, right? Like, all this is going on, and they've just relayed everything that happened, and they quote a scripture that seems a little out of place, but they interpret that scripture. They're quoting Psalm 2 1 and 2. When David said, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They're saying, we just saw that happen. We just saw prophecy fulfilled. We saw scripture fulfilled because Herod and Pontius Pilate, which Luke tells us were enemies before that day, now become friends. They unite the kings of the earth, united against Jesus. And now the rulers, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who never agree on anything, agree on this they're standing against Jesus. They're saying, we just saw it all happen. We saw scripture come to pass. So surely what you just promised in Acts 1-8 is also going to happen to us. We're going to receive power. We've received that too. And we're going to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the other ends of the earth. So in verse 28, they did, these Herod, Pontius Pilate, the rulers. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. It didn't surprise you. It didn't catch you off guard. This is You're not wringing your hands. Gosh, what are we going to do? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I love their request here. How many of you saw that one coming if you didn't know this story? Is that what you would have asked for? I can make a whole list of things I would have asked for, and I think of something along the lines of, you know, Safety? Relief from persecution? The death of my enemies, maybe? I don't know. But if they ask for boldness to speak the word. Help us be better witnesses. Help us to move this thing forward. To not do anything that would hinder it in any way. Their request was for boldness to speak the word. And in verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of of your holy servant, Jesus. Heal and perform more miracles. Release this power in us, through us, all around us, so that more people will hear, so that more people will have undeniable evidence of the power that is in the name of Jesus. And then in verse 31, they conclude, after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There is power for prayer in the name of Jesus. There is power for prayer in the name of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about tacking in Jesus' name onto the end. I think we should do that. He encouraged us to do that. He said, if you ask for anything in my name, I will be there. I will intercede for you with the Father, and you will have it. But I'm talking about fully leveraging the power of his name, the power of his presence, the power of his being, his character, his nature to do his will and his way in us and through us. So as our worship team comes up to lead us in response today, I want to encourage you because I fully believe that the more we know him, the more we follow him, the more we serve him, the more we trust him, the more we obey him, the more power we have, the more our lives become that undeniable witness for Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to get closer to Jesus than you've ever gotten. But I also want to encourage you to speak his name and its power over every broken situation you find, every broken situation in your own life, every broken situation in the lives of the people you love and the lives of the people that you encounter that you don't even know right now. We're going to offer anointing at the end of this service. If something's stirring up in you, if someone's coming to mind, if there's a need in your own life that's coming to mind and you want to receive anointing, we're going to have people set up throughout the sanctuary as we respond with this song for you to come and to receive anointing. If you want to come down over into this corner, Pastor Ryan will be here. Back. Back. By the soundboard area, Pastor Zach will be there. We all have anointing oil, which is, it's, it's, it's a simple thing. Don't let it, if you're not familiar with it, don't let it weird you out. We anoint you with olive oil, consecrated olive oil in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we pray for God's power to come into the situation that you're bringing before us. Pastor Keith will be right in the middle in the back over here. Pastor Sandy will be back by these doors, and I'll be down front here. The altars are open. The cross is open. You can go write your prayer. You can make an altar where you're seated. Those of you joining us online, you can make a prayer request in the, in the comments, and we will see that, and we will pray for that. You can fill out a connection card with your prayer. Like, don't leave this place unchanged. There is power in the name of Jesus, and that power is here right now. He said, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And here we are, several hundred gathered in his name, and he is here, and his power is here. The same power 2,000 years ago is here today. So don't leave this place unchanged. And learn to speak the name of Jesus. Speak it over illness, over pain, over relationships that are broken or are strained, over addictions in your lives, over your failures, over your families, over your marriages, over anxiety and grief, over salvation needs in the lives of people, over spiritual warfare, over depression. And let's unleash some kingdom power in this new year. Not just once on January 1st because Pastor Mark was all riled up, but like every day. Every day. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that there is power in the name of Jesus and that that power is available to us. You promised. And you can do anything but fail and you can do anything but lie. And so we claim that promise and we claim the promise of the power that is in your name. And so we speak your power into broken situations and we speak your power against the enemy who wants to break apart what you're trying to do and break down your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would unleash power in us and through us. Power for healing, power for salvation, power to restore and repair relationships, power for evangelism, because there is power in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord